Hello, and welcome to Working It from the Financial Times. I'm Isabel Berwick. LinkedIn used to be a simple platform. Companies would post job openings, job seekers would post their credentials, but the site has become rather more complicated. Discussions and videos now flood our LinkedIn feeds, everything from personal news and interesting discussions to lame jokes and icky humblebrags. In other words, LinkedIn has become much more like other social media sites. It's even got influencers now. Why do people want to get LinkedIn famous? How do they do it? And what does it say about the way that people, especially younger people, are blurring the boundary between their personal and professional lives? Later on, I'm going to speak to Hannah Murphy, an FT reporter who covers social media companies, to learn more about what the changes to LinkedIn tell us about the overall social media landscape. But first, I'm going to speak to Megan Loist. Here she is in her own words. I am the founder and CEO of Gen Z VCs, which is the largest community of Gen Z investors, founders, operators, students, next-gen innovators globally. Outside of that, I have 130,000 followers on social media, LinkedIn being a big one. And I also do consulting for Fortune 500 companies on Gen Z engagement and things like that. 45,000 of Megan's 130,000 followers are on LinkedIn. She's what's called a top voice on the platform. More on that later. And she's only 26 years old. So what attracted her to LinkedIn? As a Gen Z creator especially, there are fewer younger voices on the platform. And so I think on LinkedIn, especially over the past two, three years, there has been a big opportunity for younger people to talk about things that pertain to the next generation that older generations are really interested in hearing about. So I do a lot of work on the marketing side with Fortune 500 companies, CMOs and things like that. They're all thinking about Gen Z and they spend time on LinkedIn, not TikTok. And so, you know, I'm talking about Gen Z on LinkedIn when very few people are doing so. So I think that's the first piece. The second thing too is LinkedIn is doing a lot to really invest in creators in the platform, which is really great. So you feel a deeper sense of community. Like I have a community manager. I participated in the Creator Accelerator program last fall, which is actually a paid program. And, you know, I would get emails pretty much every week being like, here are trending topics in the platforms, things that you should be thinking about. So they're actually proactively coming to you and working with you to boost your profile and posts. Yes. And granted, I'm a two-time LinkedIn top voice. And so like they identified me, I think it was two years ago. And as a result, I've been deeper in their ecosystem since then. So that's not necessarily something that everyone has access to, but especially for their top creators across different niches, they're really investing in creators and making it known that we're here for you, which you can't say the same about other platforms. So a lot of people on LinkedIn are older. What do they get wrong, do you think? What tips can you give them? Hmm. It's very performative in some ways. And also I think a lot of people think that like you just have to be posting about like your work anniversaries, the positive things that you're doing. Like I think on LinkedIn, it's okay to kind of like piece back and share a little bit more about who you are as a person just versus just who you are in your nine to five at the workplace. So it's not necessarily something that they're doing wrong, but I think it's an area of improvement for everyone on LinkedIn. How can you show up and be more authentic? Yes, LinkedIn is a platform that's very professional in nature, but it's okay to kind of piece back and share more about the parts of yourself that maybe relate to work in a different way, but make you seem more human. So I suppose there's a thing there about older people having used it as a very professional place and actually with younger people coming on, they bring their whole selves to it, as it were. And that's causing a shift, I should think. That's in, that's really interesting. I think so. Well, it's also like the, the way that we think about professional identity is very different. The person I bring to my nine to five is 
the same as what's going on after work, but many, like 60% plus of Gen Zers have a side hustle. And so your entire identity doesn't revolve around your workday anymore. Gen Z, the way that we approach our career is like, it's very multifaceted and we bring all of that to the platform. And also it's a more informal voice as well. Like, you know, I talk to my friends on LinkedIn the same way that I would on other platforms. I'll type in all lowercase things. I'll write like, oh, slay, like love that, Uh, which you might not expect on LinkedIn. But I think like a lot of younger people are approaching it as just like a more informal way to network, basically. For me, again, I have 45,000 followers on LinkedIn. You know, frankly, it's my top of funnel for paid opportunities because all the people who are writing checks, who are identifying creators and and things like that, like they're on LinkedIn. And so I want to make sure that I'm showing up at my best, talking about the things that I care about so that it could lead to other high quality opportunities off the platform. You mentioned the other platforms there. Are there any lessons from those platforms that are transferable to LinkedIn that you could share? Yeah, I think virality is key to building an audience no matter what platform. I think it's easier to go viral on TikTok, Instagram. So like, for example, I I had a viral video two weeks ago that I posted on both TikTok and Instagram that got 20 million views. Uh, and then brought me again, like almost 45,000 followers effectively in like a couple of weeks versus I've been creating content on LinkedIn consistently for the past two years and I have 45,000 followers. So it takes a little bit longer, I would say generally to really build an engaged audience on LinkedIn and other platforms, but virality is still key to building an audience. And then you can just continue to build on that with more content. Is there anything that particularly annoys you on LinkedIn? Because I see a lot of humble bragging and people making big claims about all sorts of stuff. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of those like guru type people. And also there's a lot of people that aren't sharing their own stories. Like they just like repurpose viral content. I think there's a lot of value to the unique voice that you bring to the platform. I, I love to see people bringing their real firsthand experience across their various niches and sectors. The insights that you bring from a firsthand experience is I think what really makes the platform run. And what's your advice to all the newbie CEOs that are all flocking onto LinkedIn suddenly? Post consistently. I think that's the key. Like start by posting three times a week. Doesn't matter what it is. Take a blend of sort of news and trending topics, your firsthand perspective on things, and then just think about what your niche is going to be. Start with the niche and then you can expand from there. But really consistency is the key because you just never know what posts are going to go viral and what's going to end up helping you really build an audience and platform. Megan, thank you so much. Of course, thank you. I think Megan gave us some real insight into how some younger professionals think about work. That line between work me and social me isn't as solid as it was for other generations. So posting and amassing a following on LinkedIn comes almost as naturally as it might on any other social network. There are some truly Gen Z lessons there for people who want to grow their followings. Number one, be authentic. And number two, don't be shy about posting. I mentioned at the top of the show that LinkedIn has become more like other social media platforms. I suspect that's because others have lost some of their luster. X, the platform formerly known as Twitter, for example, has reportedly lost millions of daily active users since it was taken over by Elon Musk. I wanted to see if my hunch was correct, so I called up the FT's own Hannah Murphy, who recently wrote an article about the rise of influencers on LinkedIn. I asked her, is LinkedIn's success due to the decline of other platforms? There's certainly an element of that. That said, I don't think we should put it all down to other social platforms becoming sort of less trendy. 
There's also a certain uniqueness to LinkedIn. There's a certain tone that has evolved. It is the only place that's sort of linked exclusively to uh, your job. And so people are creating their brands, their personas with that in mind. And we're talking this episode about influencers, you know, who have taken to LinkedIn and how they differ from influencers on other social media platforms. How has that struck you? I remember when I first started on the beat, it was all about these big, high profile household names such as uh, Richard Branson or Ariana Huffington. That I think has broadened out um, where we've seen experts in certain areas, and it might be around sort of careers, coaching, mentoring, so the sort of professional working space, or it might be around a trending theme of the day. So I'm thinking previously crypto and more recently artificial intelligence. So you're seeing experts in those areas try to use it to make a livelihood, building their own brands and offering insights, newsletters, courses. There's a whole ecosystem, isn't there, of influencers and people who use LinkedIn or LinkedIn experts, you know, and LinkedIn is their actual livelihood. Do you think there's a slight risk that some of them are more influential than they should be, given the paucity of people who are actual experts on LinkedIn? I think there is that risk, particularly because the platform doesn't actually have as many influencers. This is a fairly nascent culture there. It doesn't have that many influencers relative to other platforms. And therefore, you know, if you have the money, the backing, you can cut through. And, you know, it's something that LinkedIn itself is encouraging. I mean, I've long been fascinated by LinkedIn, but some of the kind of self-aggrandizing, as we call them, humble bragging posts are quite extraordinary. And they're still there. Do you have personal bugbears or any kind of behavior on there that you just can't stand? The thing that gets mocked the most is this style of writing a story uh, that the, the entrepreneur or the founder has gone through from the first person in these short sort of terse sentences um, where they talk about going through adversity in this very dramatic way. So I recently found one of these amusing and tweeted, and it was sort of a woman talking about how I walked 0.8 miles in the snow barefoot just to get to a meeting. You know, she was there for the economic forum and um, her car had gotten stuck and she had to take off her Louboutins and walk barefoot all the way. And it ends with, that's exactly the mindset of an entrepreneur where most people would have said, I can't, we say I will. Um, (laughs) (laughs) These incredibly dramatic, pithy stories um, that are supposed to have this one, like this send off, this takeaway about, you know, the grind, essentially. Do you think social media platforms have natural cycles? So we've seen MySpace fade, Facebook's only for your grandparents now. You know, might the same happen to LinkedIn? Perhaps. I think, yeah, if it sort of continues to get unbearable in that way, it will drive certain types away. But it does at the same time really attract a certain type of person who is earnest in that way. And there is no other place that has everyone's professional network already laid out there. So there's a sort of beyond the social, that other use case that if you do want to job hunt and on the other side of it, if you are looking for a candidate, uh, it is a great place to go. So I don't see that 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 use case necessarily going. It's whether the sort of the more social aspect, the discussion feed gets more or less popular 
you know, LinkedIn are trying to think of very novel ways to keep people engaged. I don't think anytime soon it's going gonna, it's gonna to die down as they invest. I think one thing LinkedIn definitely has going for it is the fact it's traditionally had less trolling and it's been a bit less aggressive in the kind of comments than other social media platforms. Is that still the case, do you think? I have seen recently in the comments of posts, like quite heated discussions, but not to the point of rudeness and sort of savage, a savageness that you sometimes get on Twitter. And a post about an article I wrote recently, um, it was, uh, I'd interviewed the new uh, ex or Twitter CEO, Linda Yaccarino. People were very split on on her prospects. People were tough on her in the comments and people were defending her in the comments, but they, it, it stayed civil at all times. And I think that because LinkedIn is ultimately linked to your professional identity, people are less quick to be keyboard warriors in the same way, but they still wanted to debate. Uh, and so, you know, while it is quite a sterile environment with all these sort of earnest, aspirational posts, there was a sense that people were trying to have, you know, deeper conversations and debates. Yes, because you say in your piece that it's a kinder, safer sort of space than other platforms. Do you think that the fact we're not anonymous, though, is key to that? Or is it the professional thing or both? I think both. There are obviously still people who are pretty direct on, on LinkedIn, but, you know, it probably draws more users in if there is a little bit more of an edge. It's sort of getting that tone precisely right of we can have a professional debate about something um, without going at each other's throats and actually harming our jobs prospects uh, versus we're so sort of sterile and la-di-da that, you know, it's not that interesting a place to be. Hannah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been wonderful. No, thank you for having me. LinkedIn gets a lot of stick and no doubt some of it is deserved. Like Hannah, I can't bear the syrupy, humble bragging and backslapping. Surely not every event and every panel is an inspiration. I've sat through some pretty terrible ones. But I also do find LinkedIn really useful professionally. I'm pretty honest in what I post, the good, the bad and the disastrous things that happen in work and in life. And I've been introduced to sources, to guests for this podcast and even people who I now rely on to give me expert opinions at a moment's notice. I wouldn't say I've made new friends there, but I'm well on the way to doing so. And used right, LinkedIn can definitely be a good thing. I don't think I'm too bad on LinkedIn and I'm on there a lot, but there are a couple of things we should all be avoiding. No one wants to hear about my so-called journey or how delighted I am to announce my latest news. Thanks to Megan Loist and Hannah Murphy for this episode. If you're an FT subscriber, please sign up to the Working It newsletter. We've got the best workplace and management stories from across the FT, plus the office therapy advice column. Sign up at ft.com forward slash newsletters. I'll put a link in the show notes. And if you want to get in touch with us to suggest an idea for an episode or just share your thoughts on the show, do email me. I'm isabel.berrick at ft.com. This episode of Working It was produced by Misha Frankel-Duval and mixed by Simon Panay. Manuela Saragossa is the executive producer and Cheryl Brumley is the FT's global head of audio. Thanks for listening.